All right, Joshua chapter 23, and uh, these next two chapters, the final ones of Joshua, are Joshua kind of giving some final words. And what we're about to see here in this chapter, many years have passed since the last story we looked at where uh, they finally possessed all the land, and then the Reubenites, Gadites, half-tribe Manasseh went on the other side of Jordan. Uh, They thought there was a misunderstanding, thought they were violating God's word, and were about ready to go kill them. Turned out they were being obedient to God's word. They were determined to do right. These are very good years. And so Joshua, being the leader of Israel during this time, just like Moses was, he's getting close to passing off the scene. And so he's kind of giving some final instructions for these people who have been very, very blessed. And folks, this generation is so important that we you know, remember them and that we remember this generation and how God good what, what, how good God was to them and all that God did for them, they were very significant. It's very important we remember this. And so let's go ahead and go through this chapter. And then I want to I want to try to teach a very important concept today uh, when it comes to the things of God. And uh, I'm hoping I can get to have time to get to an article uh, that I was recently uh, directed to that was absolutely horrible. And uh, this chapter kind of illustrates something very important that we need to recognize to help us from going into some of these crazy errors. So uh, anyway, let's get going in verse one. It says, and it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said to them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. So Joshua is reminding them that all this good that's coming on them right now is because of God. Great things have happened. Israel didn't do it. God did it. God brought them out of Egypt. God kept them alive in the wilderness. God defeated their enemies. And all these good things have been happening since they got in the land was God blessing them, just like God said He would. God's getting all the glory as He should. So He says in verse 4, Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off even to the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, He shall expel them before you and drive them from out of your sight and ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. So remember, Israel, they haven't completely gotten rid of all the Canaanites and they weren't supposed to get rid of them all at once because then they wouldn't, the land would have gotten out of control. But God basically told them, when the time comes, when you need that land, you go fight them and you'll beat them. I will, I will deliver them into your hands. If you're obeying my law, if you're doing what I tell you to do, your enemies haven't got a chance. And so, yes, there's still a lot of Canaanites there. But God did not want them fearing those Canaanites. And God wanted them to know as soon as you're ready, as soon as you need that land, go get it. And don't worry about the hippies protesting uh, you throwing out the indigenous people. Uh, this land has been given to you. And you go, you go and get it. I don't know why I threw that in there. But the only one, the only one Israel ever needed to fear, it was God. And every time they let someone else cause them to fear, they got in trouble. And folks, we see that this generation feared God. They feared God so much they were ready to wipe out two and a half tribes when they thought they violated God's law. That's how serious they were. And, you know, a lot of times people say, I don't ever see them in the Bible, you know, you know stoning adulterers and, you know, stoning homos and things like that. 
Well, you know, the chances are this generation probably just didn't have any. But you know what? I'll bet if they did, they did it. They did these things. I guarantee you they did. You know why? Because they were obeying God's law. And the truth is, if we obey God's law, we wouldn't have a lot of these other problems. But uh, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. And that would often happen with Israel. They would just get away from God. They'd forget God. They'd get looking at the Canaanites and thinking, we can't take them. That was a snare right there. They got, they got in trouble. And so verse 6 says, Be therefore very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. So all Israel had to do to remain in perpetual victory was just keep the law. Don't turn to the right hand. Don't become some crazy extremist. Don't go full Amish on these things. And you know what? Don't become some you know, left-wing liberal you know, trendy. Don't do that either. You know what? Just follow the law. And you do that, you will remain in victory. Just fear God. And then he says in verse 7, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done as ye have done unto this day. So again, good generation. They've been cleaving to God. That's, that is why things are so good. They're cleaving to God. For the Lord hath driven out from before you great nations and strong, but as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he hath promised you. So Joshua is emphasizing again how everything God has promised has come to pass in a good way. God has kept his promises, all of them. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else if ye do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And so just like God has kept every one of his positive promises, God's saying, I'll keep the negative ones too. In Deuteronomy 28, God gave them a whole bunch of I mean, blessings if they obey and a whole bunch of curses if they disobey. And you know what? Go read Deuteronomy 28. Every one of those things that God said bad would happen to them happened in their history. But this generation, they're experiencing the good things. You know, so this generation, uh, verse 14 says, And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until He have destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you. I thought that they were never going to lose that land. No, God said, I'll destroy you from this land if you don't follow me. Just like I kept all those good promises, I'm keeping the bad ones too. And you know God, and you know, thank God, thankfully for them, you know, God proved to them that He keeps His promises by all the, these good, wonderful things. You know, I, I would rather learn from that than from all the bad things. But God told them, "Hey, just like I did all these great things for you, I'll come after you too." 
if you get out of line. And God kept that promise. Verse 16, but he says, When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land, which he hath given unto you. So now we know this generation that heard Joshua speak these words, they did follow the Lord. They did keep his promises. We'll see in the next chapter. All the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. As long as there were people alive that were connected to Joshua, Israel served the Lord, Israel obeyed, and Israel was greatly blessed. And, you know, we read, you know, that period of time, I'm not for sure how many years it is, but it's several, you know, decades. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us much about it because most of what we're reading is the bad stuff. You know, it was just a peaceful time. It was a good time. It was a time of blessing. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what we should want. And so something, uh, you know, that we know now that this generation only believed but never saw is that God would in fact keep every one of his promises if they didn't obey him. Because again, this generation, when God told them, if you break my covenant, I'll drive you out of the land. They believed God and they didn't break his covenant. You know, and that, but the thing is, we now can look back and see that later when a generation came along that did serve other gods, that God did do exactly what he said he was going to do. We know that for a fact, but they knew it just by faith. And so pretty much the rest of the Old Testament is watching Israel break God's law and suffer as a result of it. That's, that's constantly what we see. We see little revivals here and there, but we never really see a generation or a period of time like this generation. This was a wonderful time to be an Israelite because they did. They served the Lord. And so here's what I want to ask. Here's a very important question that I want to ask. And this is going to help you in kind of theology and, and kind of in answering the critics sometimes. But how many times does God have to do something to prove himself to us? And think about think about that, okay? And I think we all know the answer. And if you're thinking one, you're right. God really should only have to do something once to prove Himself, right? So think about it. We've got God proved to a generation that if you will serve Me, if you will do what I tell you to do, I will bless you. I will take care of you. I will do miraculous things for you. You will be safe. You will be blessed. I mean, there won't be a barren woman among you. I'm going to bless your flocks, your herds, your, your I mean, sickness. Uh, in fact, um, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 7. We'll go there in just a minute. But many people today, when they are questioning the reality of God, they often use the fact that there is war and sickness and famines as proof that there is no God. That's what people always go to. I mean, we, we, you knock on their door, I don't believe in God. Why? I mean, you watch the news, just look at all these terrible things that are going on. They'll, a lot of times, too, I talked to somebody uh, just a week, I think two weeks ago, we're out knocking doors. One of the reasons he said he doesn't believe uh, you know, in, in the God of the Bible is because of kids getting molested. That was one of the things. And that is, that is a horrible, horrible thing. And, you know, we talk about that all the time. The same people who get mad at God because kids are getting molested get mad at God because he says to put homos to death. It's just like, go figure. But it, it, it's, I think that's kind of an interesting thing. 
But you know, here's the, here's the thing we've got to understand: the fact that there is war and sickness and famine, it's it's not proof there's no God. It's proof that we've rejected God. It's proof that we've gone against God. Okay, because here's when people say things like that. You know what they're proving? They're proving that God is just not like them. People are saying, well, there can't be a God because if I was God, I wouldn't allow these things to happen. Well, guess what? You're not God and God's definitely not you. And you know what people want today? They want a God that they can rule over. They want a God that they can tell him, do this and he'll go do it. You know why? Because they think they're God. They think they're Lord. That's what's going on. So people struggle with the fact that God is not required to do everything that we require of Him. You know, the Jews require a sign, but is God going to give them one? No. No. It doesn't matter that the dispensationalists keep saying that He's going to because they require it. He already gave them a sign, Jesus rising from the dead. And they, and they rejected it. God's not going to give them one. People act like the only way they will believe God is if God submits to them. This is what they're really saying. If God will submit to them and allow them to be His puppet master. Well, I'll believe in God if He does some miracle. I'll believe in God if He lets me win the lottery tomorrow. You know, and a lot of people too, they, they come into church. You know, and they do, you know, I'll serve the Lord if He blesses me. If He gives me what I want. If He makes all my problems go away. You know, then I'll serve the Lord. But listen, we need to understand that everything that people claim that they want God to do for them to prove He is real, God's already done for a nation and a generation. And so here's the question. How many times does God have to do it? Folks, you know, you look at all... The, I mean, yes, you, I can see people looking at America and thinking something's very wrong. And folks, something is very wrong. We've rejected God. That's what's wrong. And we've got people out there saying, well, I would believe in God if He would make this place a utopia. Well, you know what? We have an example in the Bible. We have a generation where God did incredible things, where God did great miracles, where God greatly blessed them. How many times does He have to do it? How many nations? How many generations? God told us what needs to be done. A generation, thankfully, believed Him. And God did exactly what He said He was going to do. And what we have today is we have people that they're not asking what can we do to get God's blessing? What can we do to serve the Lord? Or what are we doing wrong? They're saying, what can we do to get God to do what we want Him to do? That's what they're doing. And folks, that's not right. And so the truth is, uh, people struggle with the fact that in order to have everything that they are asking God for, they need to obey Him. That's what people don't want to do. They don't want to obey now look what it says in Deuteronomy 7. It says, Wherefore, in verse 12, it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep them, keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swear unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee, and he will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thy oil, the increase of thy kind, the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your cattle. I mean, he's like, I'm going to take care of all your stuff. You're going to prosper greatly. There's not going to be a male or female barren among you. You know, we've, we're so messed up in our country, people are trying to figure out what they can do to become barren. You know, it just proves you don't even know what happiness is. 
You don't even know where real joy comes from. You're following all the advertisements. You're following the television and what they're telling you. That's what you're following after. But folks, these things right here are the things that will make you happy. And he says, And the Lord will take away from thee all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee, and thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eye shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. Folks, they could have walked right through COVID like it didn't happen. If they would obey him, he said, you're not, those sicknesses won't come on you. These things aren't going to happen to you. Why? Because I'm going to protect you from them if you obey me, if you follow my law. And God did this for Joshua's generation because they obeyed him, not because God obeyed them. And we've, I've, I've talked to people in the last couple of years too. That guy that was coming out and harassing us when we were over in the old building, when we were still having service, he couldn't understand, you know, why we were still believing in God when COVID and everything was going on. And it's just like, because if he was God, he wouldn't let pandemics happen. You know, and we're all sitting there thinking, I can't believe this pandemic's a lot, not a lot worse than it is, considering how wicked our country is. But this guy thinks we shouldn't serve God because God's not doing what he wants God to do. That's not how this, this works, folks. But you understand, that's what people are demanding when they say these things. Do you realize how arrogant of an attitude that is? To question God because things aren't going the way you think they should go. And it just proves these people haven't studied the Bible. When you see the wickedness that's going on in our country, you should be asking yourself, why are we still here? But that's not where people are at today. You know why? Because they want to be God. And so God blessed Joshua's generation because they obeyed him, not because God obeyed them. And this generation is proof that... But what we're seeing today is wicked people, like in Romans 1, demanding that they be God and that God submit to them because they hate God's law. And in John 3.19, what does it say? And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So right there, it just shows that you know the truth, it's there, it's out there, but people, they're turning away from it. Okay? And listen, you know, folks, we've made some noise in this town, all right? We've, you know, we've gotten attention in this town, you know, through the online stuff, through all of our door knocking and things. And let me tell you, we're a light shining in this town, but you know what? A lot of people are turning away from it. You know why? Because their deeds are evil. What, what God is demanding, they don't want to have anything to do with. They've already decided what they think is right and wrong for themselves, and they're looking for a God that's okay with whatever they want to do. But folks, that's not, what, that's not who God is. God is the one who calls the shots. He is the boss. And people forget that they're in rebellion. And Joshua's generation is proof positive that all the problems on this earth are man's doing and not God's. And the problems on this earth, you could say, are symbolic of man's rejection of him. So if we see more wars, you know what we should, it should cause us to do? It should cause us 
to repent and say, you know what? We should probably start loving the Lord. We should probably start obeying the Lord. If we see more diseases, if we see more natural, uh, nat- uh, natural disasters, when we see, when we hear about murders, when you hear about somebody going and driving his car through a parade, you know what that's a reminder of? That we've rejected God as a nation. When you hear about the child molestations and all the perversion that's going on in this world, that is not a sign that God's not on the throne. That's a sign that we've rejected God and judgment is on this nation. And it's horrible. But folks, the remedy is there. The, the, the solution is in the Bible. We need to turn to the Lord. We need to repent. We need to obey Him. But you know what? The world, they look at that and they say, you know what? I'd rather live in a world where there's molestation. I'd rather live in a world where there's shootings and murders and perversion because, you know what? I'm not giving up my sins. I'm not admitting those things are wrong. I, I want my deeds. I want that evil that's in my life and they're not willing to do it. And, turn, and look what it says in Romans 1. All right? we, and we know Romans 1, but I want to point out a few things in here. In verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So salvation is by faith, but we need to understand that no matter how godly we live as an individual, we're still going to suffer tribulation here on this earth. But we're no longer looking for a utopia on earth till Jesus comes back and rules with the rod of iron. Okay, understand America doesn't have that covenant like Israel had where, you know, if we obey all the sicknesses and things are, are going to go away. Folks, we're so far away from that, it's not even funny. And we can't do it. And that's why as Christians, we just, we want to be saved and we just trust God through tribulation. And folks, you want, you know, you want to know when the tribulation started? It started in Jesus' ministry. What did he tell the disciples? In the world you shall have tribulation. Paul told the Thessalonian church, we've been appointed to tribulation. He said it happened and it's going to happen. It's what we've been appointed to. You know what? The entire church age is tribulation, you could say. It's just, that's what it is. But you know what? We still have peace. Why? Because we have a spiritual peace that passes all understanding that's actually even better and we're not looking for a utopia here in this earth. You know what we're doing? We're looking at a world that has rejected God. The one nation that did do it right for a little while ended up messing up and got completely destroyed. And God's not looking for another physical nation to raise up. God's looking. God's got a spiritual nation that lives among this world. And we're supposed to be advancing that spiritual kingdom. And that's why, you know, we're not looking to go, you know, move out west get a compound somewhere and just, you know, have a commune and everything, which let me tell you, sometimes that sounds like a good thing. I mean, anybody ever feel like doing that sometime? Let's go find some place out West. Let's all go move out there and just, you know, Hey, if you feel that way sometime, you're not, you're not wrong at feeling that way, but at the same time, or you're, you're not bad for feeling that way, but we can't do that. Okay. Uh, we, you know, we, we can't do that. I, I want to do it too, but, we need to make a difference, folks. We need to be a light. We can't take the light out into a wilderness. I'm sorry. I, I, I want to. I'd love to lead you all out there. You know, do like, uh, uh, what was his name? Joseph Smith, you know, the Oregon Trail, all that stuff. No, but no, we're not, we're not going to do that. 
But verse 18 says, For the wrath of man is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. You know, let me just get sidetracked here too. Even if we did do that, even if we went and we started our little utopia somewhere, we just like took over some state and it was all of us, did you know that we would eventually mess up too? You know why? Because we've not been called to do that. So it would only it would only work for a little while. We'd have a good vacation and then pretty soon you know our nature would kick in and it would be just like everything else. So because uh, I saw some of your faces, you all look like you're going to do it anyway, all right? But anyway, <laughs> verse, <laughs> verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. God has proved himself to mankind. But understand that just because some wicked person who wants to be God's puppet master, you know, can't get God to do his bidding. Did you know that doesn't mean God hasn't proved himself to them? Because isn't that what we have? We've got all these people out there saying God can't be real because watch. All right, if God's real, all right, Lord, you know, strike me with a lightning bolt. As if they can control God. That, that, you know, that's not how these things work, but yet that's what wicked people do. And it says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They just didn't like who God was. Okay, alright, fine. I, I see what God said to do, but I don't want to do that. And, well, you know, I, I'll bless you, I'll give you good things. I'm still not going to be happy. You know, I want what my flesh wants instead of what God wants. And then it said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And you know what? Everybody thinks that for God to be real, he has to be like them. You know what? Because everybody's got an idea of what God is in their mind. And then if that God doesn't do what they want, because their God that they've come up with their mind would make all their problems go away. But he's not doing that. Well, therefore, God can't be real. Well, your God definitely isn't real. The one that's, you know, the one that serves you, the one that you are Lord over, he definitely doesn't exist. But let me tell you, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords does exist. And you better do what he says to do. You better get on his program and stop looking to get him on your program. That's not how these things work. So, verse 26, For this cause God gave them up unto uh, vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of a woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was me, which was me. And you know the rest of this passage. It goes on talking about all the horrible things that people did. Why? Those things are all a symptom of a people who rejected God. And we're seeing all these things running rampant in our nation today. Why? Because our nation has rejected God. We're seeing all the problems with it. Why? Because our nation has rejected God. And what we have today, we've got even Christians sometimes 
that are trying to pander to people like this and they're trying to turn God into something that's appealing to them. Not realizing, no, these people have rejected who God is. They don't want the God of the Bible. They've come up with a God in their own mind that does their bidding. That they are Lord over. They are the God in their mind. And some people are flat out saying that. And folks, you know what? We're not going to get caught up in that. We're not going to do that. The God that we believe in is boss. What he says goes, and what he says, a lot of people don't like. What he says is not politically correct. What he says will get you strikes on YouTube. You know, what he says is going to make you hated many times. But doesn't matter. He's God. The world, the wickedness that's going on is something that there's, there's no justifying it. There's no excuse for it. These people are responsible for their sins. And just because somebody comes along and pretends God is unrighteous because God won't do what that person thinks He should do, they only reveal the wickedness of that person and they're just proving the Bible true again. They want to be God. They think they are God and God can't be God unless God conforms to their will. And that, and folks, we've all seen this. This is what people are asking. This is what people are demanding. Now, having said all that, I want to read this article to you that somebody sent me uh, here recently. He, uh, they sent me an article on something else, and I looked at their website, and I was looking at some of the articles, and I was like, okay, just reading the titles, I'm like, this person is clearly off his rocker. And, and I read this one article in particular, and it got my attention because the things that are stated in here, you know, it's kind of dangerous, right? The way these things are worded. You're going to hear some of this stuff, and you're going to think, well, he's making a really good point here. But when you stop and you know, think about the Bible whole, he's doing exactly what we've been talking about tonight. What this person here is teaching about hell, they have the exact same mindset that we've been talking about. They don't, they, they're denying the God of the Bible because it, he's not like him. Because God doesn't think the way he does. And I, I want you to read, uh, I want you to listen. So the title is, If Hell is Eternal, God is Not Just, Nor Loving, Nor Merciful. Okay? Now, okay, by whose standard? Okay, it, and let me give you a, a little spoiler. By his standard. Because this guy is his own God. Or he thinks he is Lord over the Lord. Okay, folks. The standard is right here. If this standard here says eternal punishment, then guess what is just, loving, and merciful? This right here. Yeah, I don't understand it. Oh, like people who don't understand why men can't be with men and women can't be with women? You know, the Bible must be bad. God must be bad because He says no to that. that that's the reasoning that we're going to use. Hey, now listen. I don't like the idea of an eternal hell. I'll admit that. But the Bible teaches it. So I guess what I have to do? I've got to accept it. Oh, I, I don't completely understand it. I don't have to. I'm not Lord. I'm not God. So, right there, that title uh, shows you who's God of this person's life. And then he says, the more that I meditate on the topic. Okay, well, 
you need to get your head screwed on straight. Maybe read what the Bible has to say. The more convinced I become that those who adhere to a belief in eternal hell have not really thought about the topic to any real extent. I think about hell a lot. You know, it, I and so I, and I don't really like thinking about hell, but sometimes I think I I do it anyway because I need to because it's a good motivator to get us busy. So he says, justice. The Bible plainly teaches that any sin is enough to be sent to hell, and he leaves some references. In light of this, the idea that hell is eternal for everyone makes the punishment so excessive as to be an infinite perversion of justice. The punishment does not fit the crime, no matter what the crime is. And again, you know, by whose standards? You know, that, that, you know, and here's the thing too. Are you sure you as a sinful man have a proper understanding of just how bad sin is? Are you sure that you as someone who's never been in the physical presence of a holy God understands holiness? Righteousness? Are, are you sure you even completely get that? You know, I in fact, I seem I seem to believe. You know, I I, I gotta have this belief that if we could see God in the flesh in this condition, it would kill us. Yeah. Why is that? Because we're sinful beings. So you know what? If God tells me something and I'm just like, you know, I don't completely understand that, I'm just gonna believe him anyway, even if it doesn't go along with. You know, my feelings. He says, The God who punishes a being which had no choice in coming into creation with infinite, unending agony for mere decades of sin is not just judge, is, is not a just judge. Yet somehow, this ridiculous excessive punishment is justified under God's eternal hatred of evil or some other navel-gazing philosophical nonsense. It is assumed that somehow, some way, God could be justified for burning a human being forever because it is assumed that the Bible teaches that, and God must be just in all that He does. Well, the Bible does not teach that, and under no circumstance can someone burning forever be justified. And I want you to notice something too. That he says in there, like burning a human being. Okay. Well, here's you know what. Remember what God said to the first human being when He rebelled against them. He said, "Dust thou art." Dust thou art. Well, you know, it, it's a life. It's important, and I agree. Life is very important. In fact, it's, it's so important that if any of us were to go and to take someone's life, you know what? Our life should be taken. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay? But understand that it was God that gave that life. Not us. And that's why we have no right to take it. We have no right to take somebody's life from them unless it's something that the Bible calls for. We have, we have no right to do that. But can the Creator... Can't the Creator do what He wants with His creation? Isn't that what we read about in Romans chapter 9? I mean, is the potter, is the clay going to say the potter, why hast thou made me thus? I think Paul's dealt with this kind of reasoning before. You know, the bio, people like this have always been around. And so, um, understand that I get it, and we should value each other and value life, but compared to God, just understand, we're dust. And that, and God wasn't saying that out of hatred for Adam, God wanted Adam to realize, hey, do you realize who you are and who I am? I made you. I made you from the dust. And there's a lot of it on this planet. Don't you go rebelling against me. But you know what? He did it anyway. And guess what? That's all we are. And that's all we're going to go back to, folks. Eventually, we're going to go right back to dust. And yet, we think 
We can just disobey God. We think that we can question what God's word says. We think that we can go to God and say your punishment is too excessive. It's too extreme. I'll be the first one to say, I don't completely get it and I don't completely understand it. I'll admit that, but I also don't have to. I'm just going to believe what the Bible says about it. And you know what? I'd love nothing more than to be wrong on that. But I'm sorry, I'm not just seeing it in the scripture, but this kind of reasoning he's using here, this is the exact same reasoning that the Romans one crowd uses. So, um, this is ridiculous. So he says, uh, right about now, someone has begun to say, well, it makes no sense to us, but God's thoughts are higher and better than ours. Yep. That's exactly right. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what's so hard about that. Why don't we just trust God? Because I, I promise, you know, when that time comes, we will understand it someday. You know, we'll understand it someday. But in the meantime, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna question it. I'm definitely not gonna challenge it, and I'm not gonna take any chances on it. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let these things motivate me. So there's two points. Uh, one, then God should uh, be infinitely more merciful than we are, not crueler than even the cruelest of our species can comprehend to be. And two, this is an inherently flawed argument because our sense of justice is to a great extent given to us by God. How are we to be blamed if we are given a sense of justice that would make an eternal burning seem utterly excessive and then are expected to violently suppress that sense in order to justify the unjustifiable? And again, this is just, this is ridiculous what he's saying right here because he's saying, you know, that our sense of justice was given to us by God. Well, I get that to a certain extent, but you understand how perverted our judgment often gets on these things? I mean, folks, we live in a world today where people get offended if you put to death a serial killer. There's people out... That guy who just ran his car through a parade, if they try to put him to death, there'll be people protesting his execution. You realize just how perverted our, you know, ju the justice in our mind can get. So that's, this is horrible reasoning right here. And he's not using scripture to prove anything. So, uh, he says, I lost my spot. Um, so he says, God's, uh, yeah, here we go. No matter what someone did to me or my family, I would not have them burn forever. Well, we don't really care what you would do. You know. And I don't have the propensity to love infinitely and perfectly like God does, yet somehow committing the ultimate irrevocable act of hatred on a human being and having them burn endlessly can be passed off as loving in the twisted theological minds of those who feel they need to justify God based on their faulty interpretation of the Scripture. God's justice and His love are not separate or mutually exclusive even though the unsaved will have to pay for their sins themselves in hell, they will ultimately be reconciled to him. And this guy, he's what he, I forgot the term he uses. He's like this, uh, he's like a hopeful universalist, I think. And he, he, he thinks it's very possible that one of these days, everybody might get reconciled back to God. People might have to go to hell for a while, but eventually God's going to say, you know what? You've burned enough. Come on in. That's ridiculous. I mean, that shows, that shows two ways to heaven. Through the blood of Christ and through suffering in hell. I don't see that teaching anywhere in the Bible 
I see only one way. I see Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This guy thinks, Jesus, and do your time in hell. Uh, I'm sorry, that's really bad. The point of hell is to satisfy God's justice so that He may love them completely and justly as much as those who have trusted in Christ have had their justice appeased and may be loved completely and justly. And he said, mercy. Somewhere, at some point, some brain-dead theologian decided that because it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment, that after death you cannot repent. I, I agree. Yeah. After death you can't repent. I love how this guy too, he'll just use these verses to debunk his own teaching and then just like tell us we're stupid for agreeing with those things. But it's like, he said, death apparently on some divine whim is the eternal cutoff point to change your mind. Why? The fact that there will be a judgment. Listen, this is why it was so important that Jesus rose from the dead. This is why it was such a big deal. Because when you die and you go to hell, that's it. There's no coming back from that. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a super big deal. Because nobody else is going to do that. Nobody else can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And when He saved us, He gives us eternal life so we will never die and go to that place. Because if we die, if we perish, we're done for. And that's why eternal life is, the, is, our, is our only hope. Because if we perish, we perish. We're done for at that point. We're not coming back. So he says, the fact that there will be a judgment after death does not in any way show that God's mercy is somehow dried up upon the beginning of eternity. Well, who says His mercy dries up because He sends people to hell? God's still a merciful God. It's just you don't agree that He's, mer- that he's merciful. It says, the idea that God would create a situation in which it is even possible for something to burn in agony forever would be the ultimate cruelty. Uh, the mere act of creation would be the ultimate rejection of mercy. To allow foolish, fickle human beings born with the sin nature to have even the possibility of ending up burning forever based on their own bad choices is not merciful. It's akin to a human being leaving a loaded gun in an empty room with a toddler, only infinitely worse given the eternal nature of hell. So again, if he was God, he would have made it where there was no free will. If he was God, he would have made a garden with no tree of knowledge of good and evil. If he was God, he just wouldn't have created people. He wouldn't have created hell. Therefore, all these things that God did do, there must be something wrong with them. Or we're just obviously reading everything wrong in the Scriptures because that can't be right because I think that would be cruel. I think that would be excessive is what he's saying. And so his conclusion, he said, I could go on for hours as I often do in my head on the absurdity and ridiculousness of this twisted evil doctrine but I've made enough points for one article. The Bible does not teach an eternal hell and the supposed God who would invent such a thing not only cannot be just or loving or merciful, but is infinitely unjust, hateful, and cruel. The unjustifiable, which is an eternal hell, certainly is or else nothing is, cannot and will not be justified. So this guy has basically decided that these things can't be true because if he was God, he wouldn't do it that way. And folks, isn't that what he's saying? And that is one of the major things that we are up against today when we're out talking to people and we're out giving the gospel 
People are looking at other bad things. This guy, he's chose hell to be his negative thing to look at. Some people look at sickness. Some people look at the wars. They look at poverty that's going on in other countries. And they, they blame all these things. I mean, th that guy I was talking to the other day, he, he did. He kept bringing up all these things. He was talking about people in countries where you know they don't have the gospel, where they don't have Bibles. Is that God's fault that these things happen? No, it's that right there, these country, countries like Africa, places that are, are, are totally impoverished, places, these Muslim countries, do you know why they're the way they are? Because they rejected God. That's why it's so bad over there. But yet people today, they're just looking at that and they're like, if I was God, that never would have happened. If I was God, I would have done it better. And, they, and what they're doing, they are rejecting God because God will not be their puppet master. Because God will not let them sit in His throne and tell Him what to do. And I'm telling you, that's what a lot of people think prayer is. A lot of people go to God in prayer just acting like God's their magic genie. And then if God doesn't give them what they want, prayer must not work. Uh, I know what the Bible says about prayer. I know what the Bible says about asking and receiving. It's wrong. Why? Because God didn't do what I wanted to. God didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted Him to answer my prayers. Folks, we've got to just understand God is not anyone's puppet. He is God. We are submit to Him. to submit to Him. We are to trust Him. You can try to boss Him around all you want, but it will only cause you to end up in hell. It's not going to work. You know, just because you struggle, you know, understanding something about God, understanding something about the Bible, it doesn't change the fact that the Bible does teach these things. And folks, there are there's things that I look at and yeah, I, I don't completely get it. I don't completely understand it. It you know it it causes me to scratch my head a little bit, but you know what? I'm not going to reject it. I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to use you know my reasoning because I get it. I, I, I'm not seeing God in the flesh. But you know what? When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up in the temple, you know what he said? Woe is me. All of a sudden, he saw himself a lot worse than he was. Uh, who was it that when he stood before Christ said, you know, depart from me, I am a sinful man? Oh, Lord. Peter? Folks, that's, that's what happens when we get in the presence of God. And I don't know... I believe this. I don't understand this, but I believe it. I believe one day every single person, including the guy who wrote this article, when they stand before God, they'll get it. Yeah, I see why I'm going to hell now. And I think the people that are in hell are going to understand why. You know what we don't see the rich man saying when he was in hell? You know, get me out of here. I don't deserve to be here. You know, but he did say, hey, send Lazarus so he can go warn my five brothers. Now, what's interesting about that is, you know, obviously, you know, his brothers were, you know, he knew they were heading the same place he was. But you know what? It's, it's clear that in his mind, if somebody went back and told his brothers the gospel, that they didn't have to go there. Nobody has to go to hell. But the people that do deserve it. And uh, we've just got to understand that even if you don't completely get it, you know what? Just just believe it and trust it and go ahead and say, yeah, God's ways are higher than our ways. 
I'm not holy. God is holy. And so if my Bible says the, hell, the, you know, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night, I don't like the sound of that, but I believe it. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go try to stop some people from going there. I'm going to go, because there's probably people in hell right now praying that somebody goes to their brothers and goes to their family and warn them about that place. Because it's a bad place and people don't have to go there if they will believe on Christ. And so hopefully this, this helps you. And just understand the things that people are always demanding God do, you know, like create a utopia. God's done these things before. God gave Gar of Garden of Eden. Man messed that up. God raised up out of a wicked world a godly nation with great blessings with, and no problems. God, did, God already did that. All the problems that we have today are a result of man rebelling and rejecting God and yet still demanding that they be Lord over God. That's not how that works. And so I hope this will help. Let's pray to your Lord. I thank you so much for your word and the instruction that it gives. And I pray, Lord, you'll help us to learn from these examples, to learn from this generation. Lord, you kept every one of your promises for these people. And Lord, it's a reminder you always will. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to uh, just trust what your word says, Lord, and we don't understand it. Uh, Lord, we'll just follow it anyway, uh, just by faith, because we believe uh, what you say. And Lord, I know there's uh, so many things that we'll probably never understand until we get to heaven, but I pray you'll help us to uh, just be faithful, not to question them. Help us not to try to tell you what to do, but to look for what you want for us and uh, let you be Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.